Welcome to episode number 60, Looking Back and Changing Habits. I am your host, Damon Soka. It is that time of year when we have a tendency to look back on what has occurred in our lives with the intention to make a few things better. One almost laughs at that sentiment considering 2020. Of course, anything would be better than what we experienced. But we have arrived at that moment again when we think about the future and those things we would like to change in our lives. Now, as you look at the top 10 things we normally put on that list at the first of the year, at the top is always our perennial favorite, eating better, losing weight. Right next to that are getting organized, learning a new hobby, exercising, and then there are the money issues and living life to the fullest. Members of the church often add better scripture study, attend the temple more, serve more, and the like. Now, I personally don't particularly like New Year's resolutions. The idea of waiting to change your life till the end of the year feels a little foreign to me, but I get it. There are things in life that need adjustment, and the increment of the year seems about as good a point in time to start than any other. Well, except for the fact that we do two things wrong when we decide to make changes. The first is we don't often plan very well, meaning we don't work through the details of the change. And the second is, when we do plan extremely well, we underestimate the inner workings and the power of our brain. And so our planning fails to produce success. Now, it is very likely that you are making similar or same, the same resolutions that you made last year. Sure, you might tweak them a little this year, realizing that you didn't do very well the last several years, hoping to avoid some guilt this year. There are good reasons why you didn't succeed with your resolutions, and some of it is probably not really your fault. Okay, yes, it is your body, and yes, you should be in control of it. But if you've listened to this podcast for any length of time, you're going to realize that our body has some control on its own at times, and it can be very difficult to jump into the control center of the brain and start rearranging things. Our brains like things the way they are. Our brains do, well, they do like some challenges, but they are also like to be very selective about those challenges. Now, I'm sure almost everyone has heard the saying that we are creatures of habit, that statement, that statement is far more true than you really understand. Habits are the economy of the brain. Our brain has only one very good processor, and so it needs habits to run. Habits are simply routines and tasks that don't need to use this single processor. They are things we do without thinking about it, such as walking, talking, hearing, driving, and even more menial things like brushing our teeth or fixing our breakfast. Our brain builds routines constantly, and records them so we can access them and use the only processor we have for more important things. Now, all of this being said, we can only concentrate on one thing at a time. Sorry to burst the multi multitask bubble, but science has pretty much proven that it simply can't be done. When we don't have a habit or subroutine built and we are in processing mode, then we can only process one thing at a time. Now, we have a very good processor, and so it can seem at times that we are concentrating on multiple things. However, we jump from process to process rapidly, but still only working through one processing point. Now, when you are concentrating fully on that process, the mind starts to block out other processes and even the routines. Now, this is why you really can't listen to someone else and be thinking about another topic. Yes, your ears hear the words, but there is no comprehension. You have to switch over to the listening and comprehension part of the brain for you to truly understand so you understand so it can use the processor. 
anything that needs the processor in the brain focuses the brain on that topic. That is why when we are talking, we can hear the words, but we do not comprehend them. Hearing is a habit routine. Comprehension needs the processor. Yes, we can recognize the noise from their mouths, and our brain actually will do, through a routine, I'll do a little recording so that we can play it back. But you cannot talk and hear another talk and comprehend what they are saying. Now I hear you thinking, what about when I drive? And I am thinking about another topic. I can still drive. Doesn't the brain use a processor to drive? Yes, but either for bad or for good, only when there needs to be thinking then. Traffic slows at an unexpected pace. A stoplight suddenly turns red. Someone cuts you off. The brain only uses the processor when it encounters things that are kind of out of the ordinary. Do you ever wonder how you can drive for 40 miles and not remember anything you say that you saw in the last 40 miles? Because the brain only uses the processor to record new conditions or changing conditions. So while you, yes, did see it, you didn't process it. Yes, it is true that you can still drive when you are using your processor for other purposes. This is because the brain does a very good job of creating shortcuts, subroutines, and, ta and habits. The brain has to be efficient because of the single processor problem. And so it creates these routines that do not go through the processor. It creates millions of these processes that bypass the thinking and processing. For instance, in the driving scenario I discussed previously, as you mastered driving, your brain began to create subroutines almost immediately. The reason why you make so many mistakes when you are first learning to drive is that we have only one processor and many of the routines simply have not been established. This is actually true for almost everything we learn. When we first start to drive, the ears, eyes, muscles, touch are all providing sensory input that must be run through that single processor. This causes mistakes as the processor cannot work fast, fast enough or efficiently enough to take in all of the inputs and derive an appropriate output. However, over time, things like how softly to push on the brakes, how to turn corners both slow and fast, the touch of the steering wheel, and how far it needs turned all become routines that don't need the processor. They are routed around the processor, and routines are built to activate the processor if something falls outside of those normal routines you've established. Now, this is how you can be thinking about something and really not comprehending the driving, but see the deer in the road. Now, you can be concentrating so hard that you don't see the deer in time. The point is that our mind is consistently modifying, adding to, and creating new routines. Those routines stick with us for a very long time. For instance, I had not ridden a motorcycle in over 20 years. But yesterday, I had no difficulty riding one. Now, you can see how powerful a routine is and a habit is and how strongly lodged in your brain they can be. Once you have established a routine... The brain has, and the brain has accepted it and used it for a period of time. It can take a large amount of time and energy to remove it and even alter it. Now that is why an alcoholic is always in recovery. That routine is so strongly connected for alcohol that for almost everyone, it is impossible to entirely root out. Now alcohol has another component to its routine that is very important. And it makes the routine stick hard and fast. Alcohol is a drug that alters the chemistry of the body. Part of the habit and routine that is established is a chemical dependency, meaning not only has the body created routine, but it has added a chemistry component to it. Now, we often refer this chemistry component as a reward that reinforces the routine. When you mix routines with chemical rewards, 
the overall effect can be extremely good or extremely bad. Routines and chemical rewards are not necessarily evil in and of themselves, although we often see them that way. In fact, they can be a very good thing when the habit is a good one and one worth keeping. Habits and routines are very necessary in our lives and provide great benefits. However, rooting out these routines and habits that we want to change or remove can be extremely difficult, especially when a chemical reward is involved. Things like drug addiction, pornography, which is really an internal drug addiction, and even changing our eating habits. Have you ever thought of what you eat as an addiction? It is a routine with a chemical reward system. So let's take the number one resolution, losing weight, eating right, as an example of why so many people fail to keep this resolution. Eating is a routine that is driven by the body. The chemistry of the body drives us, drives us to nourish it. So we create all kinds of routines around what we eat and drink. We create habits of time where we are hungry. At the same time every day, we create habits of how we make our meals, what we buy at the grocery store, where we eat, and even quantities that make us full. Now, it is not a far stretch of the imagination to understand that we have chemical dependency with our eating habits. We call them the foods we like to eat and indulge. So we have routines driven deep in our bodies about eating that have chemical dependencies and rewards attached to them. Basically, we are always recovering food addicts. Sound about right? It is true that certain foods do create stronger dependencies. Now, I won't go through the list, but you can probably imagine what that list might look like for you. Many of us, when we go to make those resolutions, do not understand this principle of our brains. We look forward and say, tomorrow I'm starting that diet. Yet we do not change anything about ourselves, but we say we're just going to eat healthier. Now, some of us actually go to the store and we buy vegetables and fruits and healthy bread or perhaps mostly protein if you're on the Atkins diet. Now, whatever the case might be, then we are actually planning to be successful by at least having the foods in our house. Now, others go as far as to have a menu and plan each meal, which is actually even better. What you have provided for is an alternate pathway for a routine to be created, a new routine. The actual truth is you are probably creating the new routine rather than really modifying that old the old routines in your body. Now you've done all this planning and preparation and your diet begins. The body actually does okay for the first few days, but then all of a sudden you have terrible cravings for those things you used to eat. You want them so badly you can't even think about anything else. This is a routine with a chemical dependency. Your body is reminding you that you built a routine and that it has a chemical component to it. The craving is a reminder of the routine and the reward. The brain wants to complete the routine and get its reward. Yes, you are creating new routines, but the old one still exists and f is far more embedded than that new healthy routine you are creating. The more you, w the more you deny the old routine, the louder the craving becomes. Now, it is at this point when the craving is screaming at us that most of us fall off the wagon, as it were. We break from the diet and give the brain what it wants. Normally, we add things like, I'll start back on that diet tomorrow. And many of us do, with a little indulgence until we're right back where we were, except that we feel guilty and defeated. We can't even do this one small thing. The guilt might spur another try and failure, but eventually almost all of us within two to three months on the average are right back to where we were in our eating habits. Now understand that changing these chemistry-dependent habits is no small thing. Actually, it is one of the more difficult things we do in this life. 
Now, this works for almost every one of the New Year's resolutions we spoke about in the beginning. We have deeply embedded routines, and our body does not like changing them. The body can add a routine far more easily than removing one. It is built to create routines, so adding a routine isn't as much a problem. You can add fruits and vegetables to a meal far more easily than you can remove the bacon and the syrup. You can often switch out breads to one with a little more fiber or something. But really creating good habits doesn't take as much effort. All you have to do to create a good habit is plan ahead and, if possible, provide a reward to the body. This is actually the quickest way to create good habits. You can certainly create a habit without the reward, but it's likely not to be as sticky as the one with the rewards. Now, I understand I have only added a good routine to your diet, but I haven't really helped you with the losing weight part. You are now eating more than ever, and that isn't helping the waistline any. The real key to a successful diet is to build the new routine and then fade the old one out. Your body can handle eating good for two or three days. If you accomplish two or three days, then let your body have that reward meal. You need to continue this pattern of eating good with the reward meal until the good habit is firmly established, meaning probably two to three months. Then you can adjust again going to maybe a four meals and then a reward meal. What you are doing is slowly replacing the old routine with the new one and slowly reducing the chemical dependency. You have to look at it as almost an addiction in many ways. We know that addicts need time to come off their powerful chemical stimulants and rewards slowly for success. What you are trying to do when you change your chemistry suddenly is often referred to as cold turkey, and it is rarely successful. There are very few people in this world that can successfully change their habits, as we call it, cold turkey. Now, this pattern of introducing the new, establishing a habit and routine, and slowly fading out the old one is really the best methodology when you're looking at resolutions. If you don't understand the process of the brain, then you can, if you do understand the process of the brain, you can more easily adjust. Now, don't be surprised if in the future, somewhere down the road, once you've created the new routine and the old one's almost non-existent, that you have a craving all of a sudden. Remember that these routines are powerful and engraved in your brain, and you are likely to have some issues in the future. Now, there's something important about building new routines that can often cause us to fail. New routines are actually fairly easy to build, but it is difficult to interrupt old routines to fit in a new one. So let's say, for instance, your goal is to read the scriptures every day for the rest of the year. Now, the first thing you're probably going to do is pick a time of the day to do this. Now, this time cannot interfere with other routines. Otherwise, it will be quickly overridden. For instance, saying, I'm going to get up an hour early to read my scriptures. First of all, you have a sleep cycle and a routine that is a very difficult routine to break and alter. Second, if you don't have a reward of some type, then losing sleep will seem to be will seem to the mind as a negative consequence. And I can tell you that negative consequences will do a good habit far more quickly than anything else. So what you need to do is first add the scripture reading to something you are already doing in the morning or during the day. For instance, read while you're eating breakfast or lunch, listen to the scriptures while you're driving. Now be cautious with where you are adding the scriptures. For instance, if your normal routine is to think about work as you drive to work, adding the scriptures is not going to be of any benefit. You cannot replace that normal routine with the scripture routine. You're simply only going to hear a few words of the scriptures. 
Now, as an example, my wife and I had this problem with the come follow me and studying every day with our children. We tried for a while to study at nighttime prayer, but our effectiveness was terrible. Too tired, already thinking about other things, minds were shutting down, everybody getting ready for bed. Just simply too many routines with which to compete. We thought, well, then let's just move it to dinner time and talk about it over the meal. Now, we also added that each one of us pick a scripture and talk about it. Now, this has worked much better, and while it isn't perfect, it has provided more discussion in a few weeks than we had in a few months. Now, why did this work and the other didn't? We added it into a place in our schedule where everyone was already together and where it was easy to add without interfering too much with our established routines, meaning we didn't have to create a gathering routine and disrupt nightly routines. Now, I know that we in the church have, a, have the toughness of mind mentality when it comes to change. Cold turkey is our meal, and we are going to eat it till we like it. The truth is, is that for the most part, this doesn't work for us, and it creates far more guilt and distress in our lives. Now, I will discuss the, the idea of grace from the atonement of Jesus Christ a little later in the episode, and this does provide for added help when the change needs to happen more quickly. But even with some help from the Lord, it is likely going to take some time to add a new routine and even more time to change an established one. Now, with mental illness, these changes of habit and routine become, I'd say, I would say, far more difficult, but it feels impossible, as our chemistry is often altered by our illness. We can actually create very strong positive routines and then suddenly drop them one day because the chemistry has swung in our body, our emotional chemistry. I've had this experience with my own scripture study. Yes, our brains do create routines, and for the most part, our brains are going to follow them. But depression, anxiety, and mania can alter the routines in many ways, causing some to be followed, almost like an OCD disorder. Other routines are going to completely disappear, and still others will emerge only during our episodes. So while we may have routines, they are likely to vary in our differing states of mind and emotional context. As you can imagine, this causes very serious issues when you're trying to establish new good routines and remove bad ones. The interruption of the chemistry and the resulting change of routines in the mind can actually stop us in our tracks when we are trying to create good habits. Depression likes to shut down the process in our brains. Uh, Anxiety does the same. And we need that processor to create new routines. So not only can it stop us in our tracks with good habits, It can reinforce our attempt at good habits with negative rewards. The worst case scenario of habit development is to attempt to create good habits only to be met with negative rewards. Sitting in church and feeling depression is probably one of those cases. Building a good habit, but a negative reward is the result. Now, I am not saying don't attend church. It was just an example. And there are many ways in which we can build good habits. But how does one even begin to build good habits when your body ranges through so much emotional negativity or anxiety? The first answer is understand that process is simply just going to be slower, much slower to build good routines. We have to understand that when we are building good habits and then seeing a negative reward, building good habits during an episode is flat out going to be tough. It is going to be tough just to keep the good routines we have already established, much less create new ones. So if you're trying to diet or even begin reading scriptures and you are in an episode or fall into one, understand what is happening to the brain. Chemical rewards are going to be even more important during depression and anxiety episodes. 
and the established ones are going to take precedence. I am not saying that it is impossible to diet during a depression, but the word does come to mind. When an episode happens, you'll need to focus on habits you already have built and work to keep the ground you have gained. Yes, you're going to lose some ground, and you should expect it, but what you're trying to do is avoid giving up and losing all of the ground that you have already gained. Now, some of your routines will change when you transition into depression, anxiety, or mania. My wife always said that she had three husbands, but really only liked one of them. You will create different routines for your mental illness and other emotional states. You may find changing tastes for food, reading material, media consumption, friendships, sexual desire, and so forth. Some routines that don't depend upon chemical dependencies, like driving, for instance, are likely to remain through the transition between emotional states. But you are likely to stop doing many things and start doing others. Now understand how confusing this must be to someone else who doesn't have the illness and sees the changes. Their mind is going to go a little crazy, wondering why things have changed so drastically. Their routines haven't changed, and some of their routines depend upon your routines. Oh, I guess I didn't mention this part. Relationships create routines in our brain. And as you can imagine, strong chemical dependencies. We create routines large and small as we develop relationships with other people. And those routines depend upon established routines by the other person. Now, I think that we call this developing trust and love and simply developing the relationship. We learn how to communicate with each other, trust one another, live with one another, and then we develop a whole set of fairly complex routines in our brains around that person. That is one of the reasons our brain goes a little crazy when someone close to us dies or moves out of our lives. We have a whole set of routines that now cannot be used or fulfilled, and some of those routines have very, very strong chemical rewards and dependencies. What is most important about all this routine and habit building is that you understand what your brain is doing and how best to work with the brain. If you don't understand why and how the brain builds these routines and habits, you are not likely going to be successful in changing them. Understanding your routines will be a very good start to your New Year's resolution. Now, I've spoken at length about these routines and all the physical and emotional difficulties associated with trying to change them. What I have not discussed is the most important factor in this change of routines, and that is the grace emanating from the atonement of Jesus Christ. The Savior knows how difficult change can be, and often more often than we think, he can help us make those changes more quickly through the Spirit. The Spirit, through the process we call grace, can make the changes in habit and routine occur and remove those dependence, those dependencies sometimes instantaneously. Although the instant change is far rarer, the Spirit can enhance our own desires for change and help us create a lasting change in those routines. Grace comes about by asking for it and living the gospel to the best of our ability. There is no special fast or unique spiritual method for obtaining it. Although prayer and fasting do help when trying to change a bad habit, they are not absolutes. Grace is truly a free gift for those who qualify. Qualification simply means that we partake of gospel covenants and work to live up to those covenants. Most of those bad habits we desire to remove and good habits we are attempting to develop are actually characteristics that make us more Christ-like. And the Savior and the Father are more than willing to help in that process. Now, as I close out the year today, I wanted to say how much I appreciate the small, loyal audience I have. Although I don't know many of you, I know that there are many loyal listeners, and that has been a great blessing to me this year. Hopefully, you have found something to take away and use during this last year. I look forward to another year with you. Keep the faith, do your part, 
and the Lord will always do his. Until next year.